Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews. How are you all? I'm having a disaster of a time, it's fair to say. I can't think of anything funny. And yeah, I'm still laughing. I'm still laughing. It was pointed out to me today that the T-shirt that I'm wearing is quite apt. uh, And the T-shirt says, it's fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. So if I keep saying that, it will all be fine. Just a poorly, poorly child. And it's all very sad. But anyway, we will overcome, won't we? Whatever we're going through, we will overcome and books will help us on the way. Uh, But before we get into the books, I need to thank some lovely people. And these lovely people have written me a review on the old Apple podcast. Thank you so much. So I need to thank, I'm going to try and pronounce the, like the username you've used for this review, Nirak, if, uh, yes. And their review is entitled First Listen. I knew just one of the authors and the same applies for a lot of the reviews, but I'd heard good things. So straight in for a listen to the Dolan Perkins Valdez episode, Sold. Never heard of the podcast before or the author or the book. Now off to the bookshop to buy the book. I predict this will be as big as The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. Mm, That's another good book. Uh, Glad I trusted the podcast and jumped in at the deep end. I've been entertained and learnt something. Trust it and try it. Thank you so much. That's absolutely lovely. And another one from Threlly L86, a little slice of bookish heaven, they call it. Great little podcast, chatty, snappy, mini reviews and recommendations, which help to grow my book wish list every time. Thank you so much. Um, And the final one today is from, now, I don't know if it's short for like Dave McQueen or it's Dav McQueen four um but whoever you are you're wonderful and there it's entitled looking looking forward to mondays i love philippa's podcast every week a great variety of books and you can rely on on an honest unbiased review she's introduced loads of new authors and gives great interviews with writers keep up the good work philippa thank you so much oh my goodness honestly that means the world and it does help an awful lot with the battle of the podcast rating. So if you do get a chance to leave a, a nice review, I'd be so grateful. Honestly, it does make such a difference. But anyway, enough about that. Let's talk about these books because I've got five books here today for you. Some of them different to the others, but all of them wonderful books, I thought. There were no duds this week. And let me tell you, so we've got 
It Ends at Midnight by Harriet Tice, After Dark by Jane Cowie, Aurora by David Cope, uh, Gay Club by Simon James Green and Welcome to St. Hell, My Trans Teen Adventure by Lewis Hancocks. Honestly, just the most wonderful selection. And I've got my hands to my face in sort of glee and joy because they're so great. Uh, let's get stuck in straight away. So the first book uh, I'm going to talk to you about is the one that we're doing the quick five in five interview with. And that's Jane Cowie with her book, After Dark. Listen to this. Welcome to a world where women hold the power. They dominate workplaces, public spaces and government. They're no longer afraid to cross a dark car park, catch the last train or walk home alone. With the curfew law in place, all men are electronically tagged and must stay at home until 7pm. It changed things for the better until now. A woman is murdered late at night and evidence suggests she knew her attacker. It couldn't have been a man because a curfew tag is a solid alibi, isn't it? Let's do first sentence. Uh, this is the prologue, Pamela, present day. When I was a young woman at the police training academy, I learned two important things. The first was you never forget your first dead body. And the second was that behind every dead woman was a man who would swear that she was the love of his life, even as he stood there in a blood-soaked T-shirt with the knife still gripped firmly in his hand. I love this book. This is a great crime book, but it's also slightly dystopian and it's not dystopian like Handmaid's Tale, Vox, all of those where it's the woman going through the real difficulty. This time, roles reverse, it's the men. And that might be uncomfortable for some people, but let's have it. Let's have this great fresh writing. Um, I thought it was a really good read and I can't wait to hear what Jane Cowie comes up with next because if this is her first published book, then then what next? But enough about me. Let's talk to Jane now for the quick five in five. So Jane Cowie, author of the amazing book called After Dark, welcome to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. Thank you very much. I'm really happy to be here. It's really exciting to be on the podcast today. Well, I need to talk to you about this book. It's Oh, fresh writing. It's just what it's, uh, I absolutely loved it. But can you describe your book in less than a minute? Don't worry, no stopwatches, no timers. Yeah, so After Dark is set in a near future Britain in which all men are electronically tagged and not allowed out after seven o'clock, giving women free, safe access to all public spaces at night. Um, so we have a society in which women dominate in the workplace, they dominate in government, they dominate economically. Everything has shifted because men have to be at home by a certain time, which has restricted them in all sorts of different ways. And it really is a book that is about men and women because it's about male violence and it's about what would we do if we stopped talking about women as victims and we started talking about men as perpetrators and we actually did something about it. Fabulous. And then there is a body that's discovered uh, overnight, which causes some concern about who who killed this person. Was it uh, female? Was it male? What? Who was it? Yeah, so the book starts um, in a park, a public park at six o'clock in the morning, where, as you say... Um, the body of a woman has been found. She's been left there overnight. She's been killed violently. It was a violent death. Um, 
And the immediate reaction is that a woman must have done this because a man couldn't have gone into the park overnight. He would have been caught because, as I said, all the men are tagged. So he would have been caught. But the nature of the murder is such that this is the type of hands-on violent crime that is very, very rarely committed by women. It's very much a male crime. So we have um, uh, an experienced policewoman on the scene called Pamela who looks and goes, this is a male crime. Surrounded by younger, less experienced female officers who go, but we have curfew. All the men are indoors, they're all tagged. It can't be. Yes, great. Can you tell me who your favourite smaller character is in, in the book? I don't mean smaller in height, but smaller in space. <laughs> um, I think my, my favourite yeah, smaller character in the book has got to be a character called Mrs O'Brien. She runs a place called The Mother House, which is effectively a female-only commune. It's, it's a house divided into flats in which only women are allowed to live. Men actually can't come past the front gate. Even the postman has to stop at the front gate. So there are women who live here who effectively have chosen to live their lives entirely free from men for various different reasons. And one of the main characters in the book, um, a woman in her early 40s called Sarah, goes to live there with her teenage daughter, Cass. Cass hates it, thinks she's stuck in this place with these miserable old women who know <laughs> nothing about anything. Um, but yeah, Mrs. O'Brien, although Cass isn't aware, is looking out for Cass in a way that Cass can't appreciate. And she's really very forthright and straightforward and... A character, yeah, just a really enjoyable character to write. Great. Can you give us three words to describe your book? <sighs> Can I do it in two? Can I say long overdue? <laughs> um... <laughs> yes, you can. I'll t and a full yeah. stop for the third one, yes. Yeah, long overdue, full stop, <laughs> capital L. Definitely. Um, what food and drink did you consume the most when you were writing this book? Um, I'd like to say it was all sorts of, you know, like green, healthy brain food, but my husband just would say chocolate. <laughs> yes. But what type yes. of chocolate? Let's get to specifics here. Uh, specifics. What type of chocolate? Well, basically anything. Um, but really, <laughs> I would say like a, a caramel um, type mm. chocolate. Galaxy caramel. That's the one that got me through this book. Very good. We like that. We like that. And what would you be drinking while while writing it well i'd like to say healthy stuff but the reality is diet coke <laughs> it was fueled by diet galaxy coke and galaxy diet Caramel. coke it's perfect absolutely yeah. perfect um the final question is what's been the most memorable moment in your writing career so far um there, there are two really i would say the first one is um when i had first written this book i had written a lot of things that had failed so I've been writing for quite a long time. This is not straight out of the gate for me. It took me a very, very long time to sort of get to this standard of writing and reach this point. And I first started writing this book and I told my agent what it was about and she looked at me and she went, that's it, that's the book. And so I wrote it. She looked at it. I wrote it again. It went then out on submission. And I kind of had a feeling that maybe we had something special but you, you don't know you know until mm. until it goes out and it sold in the UK and it sold at, au at auction in the UK so that was obviously the point at which I began to think okay we really have got a thing 
And then it went out on submission in the US, in America, and I got a preempt. I got a very, very quick offer from America. It went to one editor um, at a big publishing house, and she very, very quickly made me an offer. And I remember getting this phone call from my agent on a Friday night going, they've offered, we've got it, they've offered, do you want to accept it? And for any writer, the, the preempt is kind of when you really know you've got something special, and that was a big mm. moment mm. for me. My husband would say when he saw it in Sainsbury's on release day. And I think up to that point, he hadn't been quite convinced. He was like, well, maybe it'll be in some yeah. shops. And we went to Sainsbury's down the road and they had a stack on the shelf. And for him, he was beside himself. So that was also quite a big moment. Oh, gosh, that's amazing. What a journey you've had. It just shows you have yeah. to be committed to writing to... Yeah, and it, it was yeah, it was it was a very difficult book to write because it was a very difficult topic for me personally to write about. Prior to writing the book, I'd had a really difficult time. I'd been very ill. I'd been in and out of hospital a lot, and it was kind of at a point where I need to start my life again. I was kind of starting mm. from scratch, um, so the book really came out of all these very difficult experiences and just getting up one day and going right, it's time. Reboot. This is the book I'm going to write. This is what I'm going to write about. Mm. It's time and I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it now. Well, I'm so sorry you had to go through that, but uh, what a what a book. I mean, uh, it's Thank I thought you. It was extraordinary. So uh, I wish you, you all the best in your future career. I can't wait to read what, what you're writing next. But Jane Cowie, author of After Dark, thank you so very much. Thank you. It's been really great to talk to you. And now we need to go on to Harriet Tice. And you, I'm sure you'll be saying, oh, who's that name? Or you know already. Of course, she's the author of uh, Blood Orange, which is a huge best-selling book that so many people have read and rated. And her latest one is called It Ends at Midnight. Uh, let's do the blur. The blur for this is very simple. New Year's Eve. Midnight is approaching, but somebody doesn't want a resolution. They want revenge. Let's do first sentence. First sentence. Well, I am always tending to make long first sentences longer than just one sentence. But anyway, do I, there's a the first very short um, chapter. Sorry, <laughs> Philippa. Come on, let's think of the word. First chapter is from the viewpoint of the fox. But I'm going to go on to the first bit, which is. That has a time set 12.00.35. No, this isn't happening. I'm not here, not hanging over the railings, face down, staring at the pavement, going to try and look up. It's a good book. I mean, you know, with Harriet Tice, it's a good book. She just keeps delivering them, doesn't she? But anyway, enough about me. Let's talk to Harriet now. So Harriet Tice, whose latest wonderful book is called It Ends at Midnight. Welcome to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. Hello, thank you very much for inviting me on. Well, had to have you on to talk about this book. Okay, a simple obvious question, but let's start with it. What gave you the idea for this particular story? Um, there are two factors. One is that an image just came into my mind. Um, in fact, it wasn't even an image. It was the phrase impaled on railings. And that impaled on railings phrase just kept looping round in my head. Um, and 
you know, if you're thinking impaled on railings, I grew up in Edinburgh. Edinburgh has all of these amazing dagger-shaped, sword-shaped mm-hmm. railings. Um, you know, the next logical step is how would someone end up impaled? And obviously it would be falling off a roof drunk after a party that had gone wrong. Um, and what better party and what more drunken party um, is there than Hogmanay New Year's Eve in Edinburgh? And so that was the that was the sort of the image of the ending. Um, and then the other slightly less sort of um, light point is that um, my best friend died from cancer last year, um, and over the three years before that, um, she had, I mean it was terrible. She she was. It, it just sort of went downhill from from diagnosis. There was no respite for her, and it was um, it was you know it's been awful to watch and awful to, to to witness. And you know for me a great loss and for her family. And but you know because I'm a horrible writer with that sliver of ice where you have ideas and then you know things things sort of turn into something else. Um, it did make me think then about. Um, the nature of friendship, the nature of long-term friendship. Um, I had known Sarah since we were at school. In It ends at midnight. The characters have known each other since they were at school. Um, and what happens really to the dynamic um, when something as horrific as a terminal diagnosis comes in? Um, in real life, I was, you know, I feel that I did everything I could to be as supportive as I could. I mean, of course, you always feel that there are things you could have done more of. But, you know, I really did do my best. And and I think she knew I loved her. But, you know, in my twisty crime writer's brain, I'm like, well, what if you've got this this complicated friendship, which is made even more complicated um, by the fact that, that, that when somebody is given a diagnosis like that, they almost have carte blanche to do what they want. Um, and in the case of the novel, of course, um, what Tess, um, the character with the brain tumour, decides is that she wants to revisit the past. She wants to go back and and try and make good something that happened, um, you know, some 30 plus years ago. And so, you know, really, those are quite um, rich ingredients impaled on railings and a wrong from the past. Um, you know, it's, it's quite nice to be able to put that into the mix um, in order to come up with something quite dark. But with all that happened with your friend Sarah, and that, you know, that's such a, an, an awful thing to have to go through for her and for family and friends. But did that impact mm-hmm. then on the writing? Did it make it harder to write or actually easier because it was more cathartic? I don't, I don't know. Did it have an impact? I, I think that... The good part of it was that, so, I mean, what I said in the acknowledgements of the book as well, excuse me, is that um, all of the good parts of the the timeline that's set in 1989-1990 are pretty much true. You know, it's based a lot of that, the the, the fun bits, the going out, drinking, the clubbing, um, discovering boys, all of that is based on on sort of real life, my sixth form experiences at a mostly boys school in Edinburgh, um, hanging out with Sarah and all of our other friends. And, you know, Edinburgh is a wonderful place to be a teenager. It was, it was absolutely fantastic. And so writing those bits before it goes dark um, was actually the most superb escape because of course also there wasn't just Sarah's illness but lockdown you know I wrote all of this book during lockdown 
in those terribly claustrophobic months and year, you know, when there was no prospect of escaping to anywhere that one might want to be. And so I found that in wandering the streets of Edinburgh and the pubs of Edinburgh in my imagination was actually, despite the darkness of the story, um, was it was huge fun. It was lovely. It was sort of, it was a weirdly emotional, you know, it, it was sad in the sense that I was exploring the past, but it was also just how glorious to be able to think about, you know, all of the, all of the good times. Um, but of course, the fact that the book is as dark is I think because I was, you know, there was a great unhappiness at the same time. But I think the word cathartic is exactly right, that, that out of that whole experience, you know, I have managed to sort of weave this together. And it's a piece of work that I'm actually very proud of, because I think that it's, there's an emotional honesty to aspects of it, Mm. um, that I don't think I could have accessed without going through, you know, some of that myself. Um, So it, it was constructive, though, I have a feeling in a few years, I may not want to read it again, even now, it's some of it's going to be quite painful, I think. Yes, because it, it, brought back so many memories and it was it was Mm. so raw I was interested though uh, on your general views on New Year's Eve and whether you like them or not because as I was reading I thought well I don't know I'm not a fan of New Year's Eve now I'm old and bitter and twisted and I wondered if uh, how you felt about that I think that younger it was a night of infinite possibility and when it was you know when one wasn't you know in in a relationship when it was a question of going out and seeing who you could get off with there was a huge excitement to that because you just didn't know what what was going to be around the corner um I think now it's you sort of begin to realize don't you with experience that the more hope and the more the more weight you put on an evening, um, really the the pressure on it to perform is so intense that it's always bound to fail. Um, And that parties end up being this, 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 this huge anticlimax. And in fact, we have really quite enjoyed the more recent ones where it has just been, you know, with the kids at home or, just going out for dinner and keeping it sort of much more on the down low so that it isn't this huge extravaganza. Um, yeah, and it is one of the, the beautiful benefits of being nearly 50 that you don't actually have to care about it anymore in the same way. You know, you can go to bed at 11 as usual and yes. just say, well, bother that. I'm not <laughs> going to bother watching. You know, you might watch a little bit of The Hoot and Nanny and then think, yeah, I'm going to bed now. Yes. Um, and I think that the... Um, I mean, I do remember sort of going up to the Tron when I was much younger, you know, it's been my early 20s. And it actually was quite frightening how busy it got. Um, In the year of, I think it was 95, I can't remember, 95, 96, just before they started doing the official parties in Edinburgh where it was ticketed, um, the crush was so bad, people were lifted off their feet and carried, you know, as they crossed Prince's Street. And there was something like, I know there were a lot of injuries that night, including a certain number of people who got impaled on, um, you know, but on barricades and on railings that were there to try and sort of prevent the crush. You know, in a way, it's lucky that it wasn't a worse, um, it wasn't a worse tragedy, you know, because it, it could have gone really horribly wrong. Um, and so I think it's probably, you know, yeah, stay, stay at home and watch the TV seems to me to be a much safer bet. Yes. 
Yes, definitely. It would be for me in my pyjamas. Thank you very much. But anyway, <laughs> I'm older than you, so there, there we go. Anyway, um, I liked how you combine the sort of the friendship, the legal side and, and time frames. It, are those the sort of books that you like to read or are they the ones that you just like to write? Um, I do like reading um, books with different points of view and different timelines and you see how it weaves together in the end. Um, I mean, of course, you know, Apple Tree Yard is the sort of the ultimate example of, you know, it's like the the, the, the uh, text of that sort of book. Um, and that is fantastic, the way that it weaves together with the trial and the um and and the the backstory as it as it sort of comes to the forefront. Um, I mean, something that I like being able to do is to switch um, so that you're not just doing the same thing from start to finish. If I start to get bored with one storyline, to be able to hop over and um, do a bit more of the trial or do a bit more of the past was something that. Um, even, I mean, even with my first novel, Blood Orange, um, which is completely one point of view, one timeline, um, because she's also carrying out a murder trial at the same time, whenever I thought that she'd probably done enough drunken snogging, it was time to sort of hop her <laughs> over to get on and do the day job for a bit. Um, so, yes, I think that when you see it done um, so that the narratives come together, it's that is something that I do enjoy reading and yeah and and like writing as well um though I think the challenge is going to be trying to keep up putting law in because I think I've reached the extent of my knowledge now um I mean you know I was only a barrister for about 10 years and I left 15 years ago so I think I may possibly have bled it dry no 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 love the legal <laughs> side of things keep, keep that coming please is it hard though do you need a lot of post-it notes and pieces of string and bits of paper when you've got the different time frames does it is it hard I it it was tricky it was tricky getting it to fit together and it was also tricky me to to have it kind of following on but um I haven't worked with index cards before. I'm actually about to do that for the book I'm planning at the moment because I want to see if it makes it any easier to have a slightly more visual um, way of planning it. I did everything on the computer before using Scrivener and that actually got a bit messy. But I like to write um, chronologically, so to speak, so that even if I'm jumping timelines, it's following on from something present day to past to just so that there is a level of continuity that that goes through otherwise i mean i've tried in the past doing one a timeline you know as one structure and then uh, you know that you have the two different things and you write them continuously and then you slot them together afterwards and for me that that never quite gels but it is complicated i mean i have no idea how people manage where they have you know because i think that was three i had in midnight with the past the present and then the, the the sort of the very present examination of the bodies. Um, and that was really quite enough. You know, if you have like five or six different characters, I think my yeah. poor little head would explode. <laughs> now, you mentioned uh, your, your book, Blood Orange, and obviously that was so incredibly successful. I'm just interested, is it like having a number of children and one is so successful? You're just like, well, hang on. I've got other really great children. I've got other really great books. You know, it must be a good thing in a way because it raises your profile. But equally, it's just like, well, hang on. There's other great children. There's other great books. 
I think it's, I mean, for a start, obviously, it's amazing because you couldn't ask for your debut to, to have a bigger, well, you could because it could be Girl on the Train or Silent Patient. There's always someone who's done better. Um, but it was an amazing, an amazing way of starting. And it, it's created a readership that, you know, I very much hope that I can sustain. Um I think, though, that it does, it's not so much, there are other books as just thinking, oh, God, I've peaked, that's it, there's no more. Um, and that is a sort of, that is slightly problematic because to have that huge success, everything else feels a bit like failure after that, even though on any objective basis, of course it isn't, and that it's, it's, it does slightly skew your thinking. Um, though I appreciate that's a very good problem to have, and I certainly don't mean to complain. Um, but to try and work in the shadow of it can be quite mm. difficult. I mean, I found writing my second book, and actually I wrote Lies, the Lies You Told, not, it was it was after the publication of Blood Orange, but before it had gone quite so crazy in 2020, um, which is when it went sort of slightly mental. But the um, it was really difficult because I'd already sort of seen a lot of reviews. And so a lot of what I wrote in Lies was a kind of reaction to reviews because I hadn't yet learned how to tune everything out and just concentrate on the page and, you know, me and what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Um I found writing Midnight, I think possibly because, you know, lockdown, Sarah's illness, um, life, I was just like, you know what, I've just got to get on with it. And this is what I want to write. And I stopped thinking so much about trying to please everybody, because of course, you can't, Um, you know, you can only and I think it only works if you're being true to the work that you're producing. It's it's got to be there's got to be an honesty there in it. Um, But yeah, I think, um, I mean, I'm ambitious. I'd like to think that there's there's more to come, that I haven't peaked and it's all downhill, downhill from here. Um, and I think that, you know, you are only ever as good as your last book, even if there's one that's done amazingly. Um, so, you know, it's, it's still all to play for. Yes, there's still lots, lots out there. Did you always know how this book would end? Now, we don't want to give anything away, no spoilers, but... Talking generally, did you know in your mind how it would end? I knew it would end with, I knew the way that death would happen, death or deaths would happen. I didn't know exactly to whom. And actually it changed between first and second draft. Um, I think possibly because I had been shying away from parts of it in the first draft. And then when I received my editorial notes, they said, you know, great, 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 but we think you should flip it. And for a period of time I thought is that going to work and then I realized it was one of those it felt like a huge editing job and I was very daunted by it but then as I started the rewrite it flowed really easily and that I think made it when that happens you know that it's absolutely the right thing to be doing Um, and I think I had in a way always known that that was how it was going to end I just hadn't had the courage to do it um, until someone else gave me permission um and then and then that is what happened um so sort of roughly but not in detail 
I'm interested though how you get your ideas because you know if if you're out with family or friends and you you see something uh you know like sharp railings do you get your notebook out of you know uh Harriet's ideas and everyone goes oh no <laughs> she's imagining <laughs> awful things is that how it works um kind of I mean it does tend to be very informed by um by the environment I mean the idea for the new book I'm working on um, started because I'd met some friends up in Scotland, some American friends came over last October and I saw them in Edinburgh. And then after that, they were going to Isla to look at distilleries. And so I sort of started thinking about distilleries and then I started thinking about body storage and whiskey casks. Um, and actually, that's not what I'm doing at all. But if I hadn't had the idea, Nelson, did you know Nelson about Nelson's blood? When Nelson died at sea, he was packed up into a barrel of spirits so that he could be transported home. And the apocryphal story is that the sailors were drinking the brandy in which he'd been stored. I don't think that's oh. true. Um, but he was actually, you know, quite well preserved. Well, it's pickling, isn't it? So he was quite yes. well preserved by the time they got him back to shore. But you see, you just did it. So yes, things, something completely innocuous and normal is is said. And then, it, you know, it's a sort of, I've talked about this sort of dark candy floss because, you know, candy floss just starts with this sort of not very much. And then suddenly you've got this great big cloud of sugar. Um, I get a, a sort of a nice thing and turn it into this sort of, you know, bilious kind of <laughs> yeah. toxic mass of darkness. Um, but, you know, you can find inspiration anywhere, quite honestly. It's like a filter on Instagram, the Harriet filter. The, yeah, the, the dark and nice horrible. Picture. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, my last question for you. Um, what do you wish that someone could have gone back and sort of whispered in your ear as you were writing your first book what what piece of wisdom do you wish you'd known then keep calm and keep going I think is as simple as that I mean I did keep going but I wouldn't say that I was very calm um <laughs> I got very that that it you know the more rejections you get the harder it is though isn't it because I tried yes. for about, I don't know, seven years to get an agent. It it takes a long time. I mean, not literally every year, but, you know, I kept doing different, starting different work and um, and it came together. And I think if I'd known from the start it would come together, um, then, but, you know, the only thing you can do is persevere. And I think that that's the, that would be the advice that, I'd give and that would be the advice I'd give to anybody is just stick at it because it's never over it's only over if you give up well we are so glad you did persevere Harriet Tice whose latest book is it ends at midnight thank you so very much thank you very much thanks for having me hey I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. See, I said there'd be some good books and I wasn't lying, was I? The next one, this is a wow one as well. Aurora by David Cope. Listen, listen to this. When a solar storm hits the Earth, the lights go out across the planet. But this time, the blackout won't be over soon. It could last for years. Aubrey and her stepson now face the biggest challenge of their lives. Soon they hear rumours of riots. The struggle for food becomes real. And even within their small communities, the rule of law is collapsing. Aubrey's estranged brother Tom, a self-made billionaire who abandoned her years ago, retreats to a gilded desert bunker where he can ride out the crisis in perfect luxury. But the complicated history between the siblings is far from over, and what feels like the end of the world is just the beginning of a personal reckoning long overdue. Now, if you are saying to me, who is David Cope? What is he? Apart from being a good author... um, I can tell you that he is a very well-known American screenwriter. He's been involved in films like Jurassic Park, um, Mission Impossible, Spider-Man, Panic Room, War of the Worlds, Angels and Demons, Inferno. I mean, all, all sorts. So this guy can put pen to paper and he proves it with this book. But let's just do first sentences. Um, and I've just found my notes that I've written that made me smile. Uh, the Carrington event. No, let's go to part one on set. The thing about Norman Levy was that everyone knew Norman Levy. As a college professor at the University of Chicago, he'd been a magnetic force for talented and curious people and could always spot a kindred spirit when he saw one. I love this book. If you like a book that's as close to a film as possible, this is it. I loved it. It's got good pace, good characters, good angles. Totally film-like, as close to a film as I think I've found in a book for, for a while. I just thought it was brilliant. Yes, there are, for those of you who feel uncomfortable with books, say, about pandemics and lockdowns, this is not about a pandemic, but it's a similar situation in that something almost unbelievable and yet can happen, is thrown uh, at people in the world and they have to deal with it. And it brings the good out of some people 
and it brings the bad out of others. And I just loved it. I loved it with this sort of idyllic, uh, ultra expensive hideaway and then other people just trying to get on with it with their normal lives. Yeah, I think you're really going to like that one. So that is uh, Aurora by David Cope. And I put that down there. Now, the next one. Listen to this. Gay Club by Simon James Green. First of all, the cover on this. There's there's so much rainbow glitter on this book. It is joyful to behold and it's a it's a, a lovely story okay here's here's the deal with just four members in the school's lgbtq plus society barney has a predicted 75 percent of the vote he's got big plans for making things better for Greenacre academy's queer students but he's met his match with bronte she gets the voting opened up to the entire student body and the whole school starts paying attention how low will the ambitious candidates go to win Buckle up for some serious shade, scandals and sleazy shenanigans. And when the group faces an unexpected threat and a big opportunity, can the club members put politics aside and stand united? Right, let's get to the first sentence. Is this mid-grade or is it YA? I think it's, it's like older mid-grade, I would say. Um, here we go. I'm walking towards my destiny and I'm on top of the world. There's a definite bounce in my step as I stride down the corridor. It's not a sachet. Dear God, I wish I could sachet, but I tried it in secret once and I looked like I needed urgent attention from the orthopaedic trauma team. And it's not a strut. That would be way too arrogant. But it's confident. This book is absolutely glorious. This book gets across key themes that we all need to be aware of if we're not already. But it does it in a way that is not sort of it's not lecturing you. It brings you on side. It's a book that needs to be in every school library. I'm going to be talking about this one for a long time. And it's it's a great read. It's a great story. And it's just... Ah, oh, it just it just hits all, all the right notes. I thought it was exceptional. Excellent. Gay Club, Simon James Green. Fabulous. Let's put that one over there. And now we come to the last book. This is a graphic novel, don't you know? Once I heard this, and there was um, an online event I was on where different authors were talking about the books that they'd written and that were coming up. And when I heard Lewis Hancock's talk about this book, I was like, hello, I would like to have this immediately, please. So this is a graphic novel about, it, yes, it's a story, but it's about how Lewis Hancock's got on at school and how difficult it was. And I think it's amazing. Byline is my trans teen misadventure. And you really get to understand a lot more about the complications of not feeling comfortable in your body and just simple things like which toilets do you go into and how cruel kids can be and how cruel, ad well, cruel adults can be, yes, and how adults are striving to do the best. But, you know, we, we often don't get it right. And at the end, uh, it, I nearly wept, but the end few pages are real photos from some of the characters in the book. It, it's an extraordinary journey. Again, like Gay Club, this book needs to be in every school library. This is a book I want to give every child. It doesn't matter if they're personally going through it or not. It's, you know, they'll know someone. They will just need to have a better understanding. And I think it, if you're stuck and you, you need answers to questions, this helps so much. 
and just bravo for for Lewis doing this. I I really do think so. Is it YA? It's it's definitely not young mid grade. Um, maybe it's more YA. I don't know. If you if you're looking to get it for a child, have a read of it yourself and see what you think. But I immediately want to pass this on to people who are involved in the education system because this and Gay Club are two marvelous books for that purpose. So there we go. I'm just going to put that on the pile so I can see the pile. So we had Harriet Tice um, and her latest book is called It Ends at Midnight. And she came on to talk to us for the full interview. Thank you so much, Harriet. Uh, then we had Jane Cowie come on, who's written After Dark, and she did the five in five. Thank you, Jane. Then we had Aurora by David Cope. Excellent book. We had Gay Club by Simon James Green. Excellent book. And we had Welcome to St. Hell by Lewis Hancock. Excellent book. Sorry, lots of them. Go out acquire them, buy them, borrow them, beg them, get your hands on, as long as it's not illegally obtained, get your, get your mitts on these, because I thought they're just, uh, I thought they were a great range, and I can't wait to hear what you think. But that is me done for the day. Uh, just, just look after yourselves. We need to look after each other, don't we? We'll all get through this, and I'll see you very soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. Hold up, what was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.